I showed up everywhere in some stage of the game, whether I was coming down off of a high or headed up a steep incline. I once went to Disney World drunk after binge drinking for two days. It is moments like those that I will never get back because of the haze or false protection drinking gave me. I missed so many moments in life where I didn't show up fully, all due to my attachment to the bottle. More than anything, it was the risky deeds I did in secret that should have made me ashamed, and I prayed they would never see the light of day. It is for those reasons, among others, that the drinking game had to end. This is season two of My Black Book Journal. What's up, everybody? This is Danny Bristol, your host. Welcome to My Black Book Journal, season two, powered by Act Justly Love Mercy. I can't believe we're here for another season, y'all. I'm really excited to drop some new episodes. Today's episode, we will be interviewing Crystal Ash on her brand new book, Lessons from My Grandma's Table. That is where the opening quote came from. Look, about to jump into our episode, but before we do, Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review, and you can listen to My Black Book Journal wherever you get your podcast. Y'all, please leave us a comment. I love hearing from you. Follow us on Instagram at My Black Book Journal or on Facebook at My Black Book Journal. We're going to have a great season. I can't wait. Let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Crystal Ash. Thank y'all. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to My Black Book Journal. I am excited about season two and the lineup that we have planned for you all. You all, today I have the honor of interviewing and talking to uh, Crystal Ash, who is a brand new author. She just published her new book, Lessons from My Grandma's Table, Insights on Self-Discovery, Inspiration, and Transformation. Crystal Ash, how are you doing? I'm doing great. So great to join you on my Black Book Journal. Danny, my brother, so excited to be here <laughs> to share with you. Yeah, I am, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I'm really, 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 really excited for you all to get an opportunity to hear, learn from, listen to Crystal Ash. She has played, you know, we've known each other for a while. Um, people say, that nobody's mind or nobody has ever gone undergone a change doing due to an argument. And I disagree because I've had some <laughs> conversations and some arguments with Crystal Ash and she has definitely changed my mind on some things. And I'm super grateful uh, for some of those conversations we've had over the years. So Crystal, like I said, I've known you for a while, but I'm really excited for our listeners to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you want to know, what you want us to know about you. Absolutely. Um, I'm a little country girl from backwater Alabama, not really backwater Alabama, <laughs> but um, raised up in the Black Belt of Alabama um, from Demopolis, Alabama, came to Birmingham to further my education at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, really, and stayed here. And I've always been one of those curious people in life. 
not just one of those people that just kind of did things just because everybody else is doing them. I always needed to know the purpose in something. And so I was always curious. So that curiosity led to me reading a lot. And so I would say I started reading when I was about four and I've never stopped. So this journey of writing my first book is one that I've been on for a very long time, starting the first time I picked up a book. Um, I've been a mentor in our city for about, I would say, over 15 years now. Mm. And just some of the things that I learned growing up, I always wanted to be able to pass that along to the young ladies and the young people that I was mentoring along the way. And I got to a point where I was like, okay, I shared all this knowledge with these young people and I've already had it in my heart to actually write a book and share this knowledge with others, whether it was things that I learned from my grandmother or just stories that kind of just stayed with me throughout my life that were life-changing and things that I still walk by and things that gave me my sense of my core values. And so I wanted to be able to share those things with others. And so that was kind of like the motivation for writing the book. It's like, I don't know if you've ever met someone or you yourself. You know, we've had several discussions. You just <laughs> feel like you have a message inside of you that you want to share with others, that you want to be able to um, impart wisdom to those people, but also shed some light on some different insights that those people have never been exposed to before and getting them to a place to, you know, being able to walk fully and freely in what they've been called to away from, you know, the angst of sometimes growing up, it's just mm. comes with its own growing pains and growing up. A lot of times we associate that with younger people, but as even as an adult, you should constantly be growing. And so we're all still growing up, right? And so in this journey, being able to get some insights is always a helpful thing. <laughs> I agree with that. And that's, you know, that's that's why we do my Black Book Journal to uncover lessons in life, love and leadership from the Black and African-American perspective and experience. And so, you know, I, I, I think that we there's so much that we have to learn and the voices that we listen to, the people, the stories that we learn from are so important as we are growing, we are developing, we are changing and transforming uh, throughout this journey. We're, we're, we're coming into more realization of who we are and the type of people that we want to be and who we want to be known as. So so I really enjoyed the book, you all. Um, Thank you so when, much. When I, when I heard that Crystal Lash was publishing a book, I reached out I'm like, how can I get my hands on this book? You have to come on the show because I know that it was going to be gold. And you all, it is great. It's funny. It's deep. This is full of wisdom and life lessons. It's some stuff in that that make you mad. Like, so, you know, you're, you're writing this book, um, right now, right in the stage of life that you're in right now. But you're you're also talking about your experiences a lot from a young little child to 19 years yeah. old around yeah. there. And I have 11 year old, you all. Um, and so I'm reading this and I'm like, Yo, 
I need to talk to my daughter about this. I need to, I need to check in. Like I'm, I have, I'm, I'm thinking of stories that happened in my life and it was really speaking to me. Um, so, so how was it? Right. I, so, so it's, it's lessons from my grandmother's table. Right. And so you really center these, these stories, these lessons really around your grandma's table. Um, Annie Bell Ash. Yes. The one and only, (laughs) the one and only. My grandmother taught me so much. And I think about like my grandmother had a sixth grade education and I will still Hmm. to this day say she was the wisest person I ever met in life. And it Hmm. wasn't the things that she said to me, it was her actions. And so a lot Hmm. of the lessons that I talk about in the book came from me being able to understand, even while sitting at her kitchen table, I was able to see her actions and pick up lessons about how to do things in life. And so it taught me at a very young age, any experience that I go through, I should be looking for the actions of others and what they're teaching me, what those actions, what messages those actions are teaching me. And so mm-hmm. I often say, you know, people will read the book and they say, oh, well, I got this from it or I got that from it. And I said, that's good. I want mm-hmm. you to get your own lessons from it. Like, yes, these are my lessons and things that I learned during those experiences. But I want you to be able to read not only and get a different lesson from my lessons, but also to think about your own life experiences and what it's taught you. And I'm glad that you mentioned your daughter, because I do want parents and older people to realize, even with the young people that are in your life, their stories and their experiences are happening now that are going to stay with them throughout the course of their life. And so what type of experiences do you want them to look back at 20 years from now to say, oh, well, I remember when my dad did this, it shaped my life forever. Like I always remember that. And so I often will say, I listen with my eyes and people say, what, Mm. what what are you talking about? You listen with your ears. No, I listen with my eyes. Like I can always hear the messages you're telling me that may not be verbal words, but your actions are telling me something. And I just have to be attuned enough to listen to what you're saying. Hmm. And, and, and you do that. I mean, you, you really structure, you really structure each chapter and there are six chapters in the book. And, and I, I want to read the names of the chapters for you all. <laughs> just, just to give you all a sneak peek, you got to go purchase the book, but, but the first chapter is do right by people. The second is the day he left me. The third is my name is my name. The fourth is know your worth. The fifth is lick the ground. And the sixth is the drinking game. So, so you structure your chapters in a way that you tell your story and, and you, you weave in what you're learning, right? And you, you're reflecting. And then at the end, you make sure that, that you really, you take time to say, this is what I learned from these experiences, from these people. Um, why was that important in writing the book? Why did you really want to explicitly say, this is what I've, I learned along the way? Because I believe with any experience that we have, sometimes we can go through those experiences and it's years later before we realize the lessons that we've learned from those experiences. So like you said, like I started at like age three talking about these different stories, right? 
And a lot of people will say, I don't even remember what happened when I was five. But I was like, man, I still remember my very first thought. I was not even able to sit up. And I still remember that memory. Um, And so just being able to stop and say, even in the midst of this experience, what should I be learning from it? Because I believe if you don't learn from certain experiences, they'll start to repeat themselves and they'll become cycles Mm -hmm. in your life. And so if you never get the lesson that you were supposed to learn, it's no different than school. You continue to take the tests because, or you even fail, and that's that's never good. You continue to take that test um, to elevate to that next level. And so for me, it's like, if you're able to go through an experience and you get that lesson, that means you pass the test, even in school, you get promoted to the next grade. And in life, I think it opens us up to more abundant living. I started thinking about that a lot last year um, with the pandemic happening. I started thinking about, I got kind of fixated and started meditating on the scripture that talks about living an abundant life. And like Christ comes to give us abundant life. And what I realized is, is a lot of times we have associated that with wealth and like prosperity and spirit, like gain. And what I realized, I was like, abundant life. What does that look like outside of bondage, of pain and hurt and bitterness? Like, what if my abundant life is me living freely Mm. with peace and joy and, you know, happiness? Like, what if that's my abundant life? And how do I get there? How do I unlock the code to that? And sometimes unlocking the code is being able to look at your own experiences and finding the lessons because those lessons then become keys to living a better life. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I'll amen that because because before Jesus gets to John 10, where he talks about uh, that being the giving us life and life more abundantly, he, he he's in John 8 talking about that in him we'll know the truth and it's in right. knowing the truth that we'll find freedom right and so so you're right there is something really really freeing about truth um and accepting and acknowledging and dealing with that and finding that freedom um it does it frees us up to live to live to live freely right, right. um and i want to talk about that cuz you talk about some deep things in this book like <laughs> Like this is real life stuff you're talking about. And so early on in the book, you talk about death, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. you, you talk about a cycle that came out of out of out of this death. And you say it was a cycle of love, rejection, and abandonment. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. Um it was a very close family friend. Um if I'm being totally candid, he was my grandmother's boyfriend at the time. And yeah, (laughs) he was um, like a grandfather figure to me, just kind of spoiled me, was always present. And I just uh, a fixture in my life at an early age. And so he actually passed from a heart attack when I was about three years old. And nobody explained death to me. So in my mind, he left me. It's like, wait a minute, one day you're here, 
loving and nurturing me and caring for me and being this presence in my life. And then all of a sudden you're gone. And nobody had taken the time to explain to me what death was. And so in my mind, for a while, I was still looking for him, still asking where he was. Um, And I know I give like a vivid description of attending his funeral because I still remember that day of going to the funeral and even looking in the casket and being like, oh, because I called him my buddy. I was like, oh, there's my buddy. You know, just wake him up. Like, mama, just wake him up. And being told, oh, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And it's like, no, in my little three-year-old mind, my buddy has been gone. There he is. Wake him up because I need him to come back to me. And when that wasn't explained to me, at a very early age, I started to begin to think, and I remember telling myself this at a young age, don't get close to people and don't love people because they'll leave you. And so because that death wasn't explained to me, and of course, nobody can change that, right? Because it wasn't explained to me, it was one of those stories that I began to put on a loop in my head and it dictated how I dealt with other people, you know, and it's something that I'm still working through, you know, thank God for therapy, but you know, <laughs> it's one of those things that, you know, that happens in life that nobody takes the time to explain. And that's why I tell uh, even parents, like, make sure you talk to your children about things that they're experiencing. Don't think that they're immune to death or things happening in the world. You know, I've been telling my friends the last year, talk to your kids about what's happening right now with the pandemic and everything that's going on. Talk to them because they're if you're experiencing frustration or stress or anxiety or any of that stuff, your child is experiencing that mm-hmm. too. So be able to have those conversations with them. Yeah. And, and that's what I was thinking about because because I was reading this and you write it. I mean, your writing is I love it. Right. I think it's phenomenal <laughs> because because I felt like I was right there with you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I and I could tell you remembered it so clearly because I was standing in that church with you and I felt like I was feeling those emotions. I felt like I was asking those questions. I felt like there were certain parts you talk about bullying in the book and it's I feel like I'm right there with you at moments. And, and I'm, 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 I'm like, y'all stop, you know, like I I want to interject, (laughs) but, but, but really you brought us into your story. Mm -hmm. And in that, I thought about, you know, that how my life has been impacted by death, how my life has been impacted by rejection and that feeling of abandonment. Um, and I think that's something that people can really resonate with because those are all things that we go through. We, we experience loss and processing through that loss um, is a journey. Yeah. You, a lot of the you books, also, I, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Crystal. No, I just wanted to say, like you said, you, you felt like you were there. A lot of these stories, although I may think, oh, these are my stories. These are my exclusive stories that nobody else has. It's like, no, other people have dealt with these issues before or dealt with these experiences before. Um, I may be telling them from a little country black girl's perspective, but 
you know, someone from New York could relate to, you know, experiencing death or being bullied or whatever it may be. And so they're universal stories, no matter where you are in the world. Yeah. So you also invite us into, so you all, I, I've, like I said, I've known Crystal for a while. <laughs> and, and so she talks about this a little bit in her book, um, where, and she says this, she, and this is a direct quote. She talks about, let me, let me see. I, I can't even find where it was. Oh, you will not touch my grandma. I shouted, preparing to fight if needed. Old or not, this lady was about to catch these hands. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, who is this? Because Crystal, Crystal Ash is not a confrontational. She is, she is violence averse, right? She will turn away from violence. And so I had to know what was going on in this scene. Listen, even in the book, I say I am the antithesis to violence and conflict if you you know there could be a study where you talk about fight or flight i am all about flight i'm going to leave the situation and what i realize is i'll leave the situation unless it's my family or somebody i really mm. love it's like when it comes to family it's like wait a minute whoa like that's not gonna happen <laughs> we have to protect the family. So, yeah, that's why. Uh, and even that person was a family member. So I was mm. like, yeah, you're not touching my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> you you have tiered layers of family members because clearly this this family member was, was about to get it. So you all got to read the book to, to really understand what was going on in that scene. But it was, you know, you, you talk about the relationship that you had with your grandmother. Um, and then you talk about, you know, in the book, how you often look for someone to look up to, especially a an older woman. Um, and you talk about how you were the only girl. And I know that there's a lot of people that have gone through those experiences that they're looking for someone to model, whether right. it's a, 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 a young lady or a young man. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, that experience of looking for someone to really model after and then even how that how that has tied into your mentoring. Absolutely. I think with all of us, whether you're a young woman or a young man, you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure out life. You're trying to figure out, OK, I know I talk about it on like a surface level, like, oh, how do I dress or how do I write or something like that. It's really deeper than that. It's like you're trying to figure out, okay, who am I? Because we don't have that knowledge yet, right? And so until I figure out who I am, let me look around and see who can I model life after. You know, I think about when I was younger, and I talk about her in the book, my sister-in-law, who is my sister. I don't, I've known her since I was eight years old, but she was like my, my model. So I was like, oh, Whatever she does, that's what I do. Okay, she talks like that. Okay, she does her hair like that. Okay, cool. That's what I'm going to do. And I feel like a lot of us, we try to model ourselves. I'm even thinking about um, athletes. You know, they may have their style of, you know, how they work out or different workout regiments they may have. And then they meet someone who's more advanced 
in the sport. Mm. And so they say, oh, I like the way he does that. Or I like the way she does that. And so I'm going to add that to my toolbox. And I think we're all doing that in life. As we go through Mm. life, we're trying to pick up pieces and tools to add to our toolbox to create who we are till we get to that place of actually knowing the fullness of who we are. Um, I know I talk about more in the book and we probably touched that a little later about it's going to take us going back to the maker, the creator of who we are to really get to that sense to walk in this different level of freedom and this different level of power of knowing who we are. But as children, Absolutely. You're looking around to see who you are. You think about small children, you know, your child could say, oh, I like popsicles today, but they go to school and their friend um, likes yogurt. And so now they like yogurt. And so I think everybody is looking for like, oh, well, this person does that. And I think I admire this person. So I'm going to do this. And even with my mentoring, I think I started out um, thinking Hey, I want to be able to give someone, someone to look at, to model. But then what I realized is, nope, that's not my responsibility. I'm there to just kind of guide and be on the sideline, almost like a coach. I can't get in the game for you, but I can give you pointers. I can tell you what to expect. You know, a coach, they're able to see the whole court or the whole field, whereas that player is just playing that one position. And so for me, my mentoring has turned in more of a coaching with the young women that I mentor because I'm able to see a wider lens than they can for, from where they are in their own experiences, being in their teens or 20s or whatever. Yeah, you know, I'll just I'll just insert a note right there when you talk about <laughs> mentoring. That's so true, right? I mean, I, I think I, I ascribe to the, hey, let me model and direct more than let me coach and be present, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it took a while to really get to that point of like, people, we need more coaches, right? We right. need more cheerleaders. We need more people who are willing to listen. Right. Um, and that's what you said you had, even as a seven-year-old, somebody that would listen to you. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about that because because your faith plays out strongly in this. And, and even, you even say this of your grandmother, you say, um, though she struggled with reading, she lived the testaments of the Bible with vigor, right? Talk a little bit about that faith that she instilled in you that you learned from her and how that's even carried on to today. Absolutely. I think faith has always been a very strong part of my life, even from as from as small as being three or four years old, going to Sunday school. Um, I often... I tell people I grew up in a little Baptist church on the side of a highway, a little white church. It still sits there, but I don't. it's not occupied anymore. They've since moved on. Um, but that's where my faith started. And not only that, but having family members such as my grandmother who not only read the scripture or like, you know, in my grandmother's case, she couldn't read. I didn't know that until I was in the 12th grade. Um But even seeing her listen to the word, right, and start to implement it into life. Like when my grandmother passed, there were several people who came and said, she helped me when nobody else would. She Mm. did for me. Um, My grandmother never met a stranger. Like everyone in my hometown knew her. And they also knew that if they needed help, 
she would show up. And so that was one of the things that was really pivotal in my life is like, it taught me, no, God is not like on earth in a physical form, right? But we become his hands to help others. And my grandmother taught me that at a very young age is that we're here to serve each other. And not only to myself, I think about like me and my cousins even. I know one year I got up on New Year's and I felt like I just want to go serve. And so I went to a, a local shelter to serve food that New Year's. Well, I get there and I'm preparing or whatever, getting the instructions and I turn around and my cousin's there. And I was <laughs> like, wow. And so it really made me think like that heart of service and loving others and wanting to um, pass on that love, like the love of Christ of serving others. That's something that she instilled in all of us to this day to where we have no problem jumping into service of others. And it's that service that helped to build our faith because we knew I'm not doing this on my own accord. I'm doing this because God has enabled me. God's blessed me in some way. And so why can't I be a blessing to other people? And in doing that over the years, it's built my faith. Um, it's wanted, it's, really pushed me to want to study the word more. So not only am I serving, but how can I start to empower people? How can I start to connect people to this thing that has blessed my life so richly? How can I start to help people to understand that, you know, there's no spooky mystery to God and Christ, right? Like, he's just like, like, I'm not saying like bringing Christ down, but you don't have to be some exalted title or minister or whatever to live out the the qualities of Christ that he has for us. You know, so that brings to mind a conversations we had a long time ago about um, about Crystal Ash does not put anyone on a pedestal. I do not. Um, and, and we would talk a, a <laughs> lot about the need for believers to really engage in, in what we believe um, right. and to really live that out. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, I was really appreciative that you, you talk a lot about that, your faith, but you don't shy away from the struggles, right? You don't shy mm -hmm. away from the challenges that you had. And I think that was really important. I want to ask you about that because I think it's really important because, you know, we will quote the scripture a lot, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're older, they won't depart from it. And sometimes we think that means that like we don't have to grow into a, right. a fuller, a better understanding of of who we are in Christ or right. who even God is. And so in 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 the last chapter of your book, you talk about being 13 years old and being first exposed to alcohol. Um, now, this is something that we had spoken about before, but I don't think and my I don't I don't remember you telling some of these stories publicly. Mm -hmm. Can you share a little bit about writing this chapter and sharing this chapter of your life with a, a broad audience. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say that last chapter was probably the hardest to write. Um, the others came very easy. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of our mutual friends and I was like, man, you know, if I can write this chapter, 
I think I'll be okay and, you know, I'll be okay with everything else that's in the book because this one I haven't really shared with a whole lot of people in a broader audience. You know, I've shared it with my mentees and young people that I work with, close friends, um, hadn't really shared the full story with my parents. And so them reading the book was the first time of them knowing, like they knew I had told them that I had an alcohol problem as a teenager, but I never actually told the story of how it started. And so there was a part of me that was like, you know, if if I share this, I'm exposing other people, you know, because it's 13. How are you getting alcohol? That was a question my dad <laughs> asked me. Asked me he was like, who's yeah. got alcohol for you? You know, and so I really wanted to share the story because like you said, I think a lot of times when you come to faith and, you know, you get cleaned all cleaned up, nobody really thinks about, okay, what actually happened to that person? How did they get to that place? And so for me, you know, I was exposed to alcohol, you know, by family members being totally candid, 13 years old and what I didn't know, and this is why I think it's so important for parents to share with their children, is tell them about stuff that, quote unquote, runs in your family. I didn't know that alcoholism ran in my family. And so as I took that first drink, it's like the floodgates open. It's like, whoa, what is this? Oh, I'm next in line in the generations of going down this road. And it was one of those things that I kept hidden for years because it was almost like it was my it was my secret, but it was also my shame because I was the, you know, I called myself the all-American student, right? I was captain of the basketball team and honor student and, and all these organizations. And I taught Sunday school and, you know, I was just that teen that every every adult was like, look at Crystal, you should be more like her. Right. Like if my friends told their parents that they were going out with Crystal, it's like, OK, they can go. And it doesn't matter what time they get home. <laughs> they didn't know Crystal's out here blushing it up, you know. Hmm. And so it was one of those things that I kept a secret for a long time because I wanted to put this image out there of being this good girl. And it was something that I struggled with. And part of the reason of why I was drinking is because I was struggling with, with being the good girl and maintaining that image. And also it was very much, I, I know as a teen, I was very accolades driven. And so I was, you know, wanted to perform to be rewarded. And it was a struggle that I had, one that I had placed on myself to be able to do that. And so the drinking became like my mess. It was a thing where, you know, it lulled away the pain or depression or anxiety, whatever it was, the drinking became my medicine of choice to not deal with what I was really feeling emotionally um, and being emotionally unavailable. Just so many different things you think about, you know, we we often will think about these things as adults that people deal with from their emotions and not being vulnerable, but we don't ever stop to ask our young people, Hey, how are you feeling? Or looking at, Hey, are they connecting with people emotionally or 
do they have anxiety or do you have depression? Like all of these things, particularly in our community, we don't really focus on those things. And so for me, and you, I'm, I'm saying for me, but you could see it every day, Danny. Like you see young people drinking, you see young people addicted to social media, you see young people um, smoking or whatever it is that they're doing. And a lot of times for me, it's like, okay, what's behind that? Not just the act, but what's behind it. And we don't ever stop to actually have those conversations to ask what's behind it because they're medicating from something. And and that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, you, you offer you, Crystal's background is in, um, is in counseling and, 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 and psychology. And so she gets, you know, I get like you, you, you come from that background, you work with young people, you work with, with young people now. Um, but that's the question we have to ask for, we have to ask our, our, our children instead of like, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. Right. They're self-medicating. So right. what happened? Who exposed you to this? Right. Like, how did you know to do this? How did you know to go that direction? I remember being in seventh grade on the bus and that was the first time I was exposed in seventh grade to pornography, mm. sitting on the bus for some older students. And a seventh grader has no concept for how to really filter through what they're seeing and watching. Right. Um, but being exposed to that, like you don't really know how you will respond because you don't know what that's triggering and right. what you're predisposed to. And right. so, you know, I think the important thing for me is I was reading your book. I was asking the question, like, I need to listen. I need to ask my daughter questions. I need to listen because I remember what mm -hmm. it was like to be in middle school for me. I remember the things I was exposed to. I remember the pressure, right? You want to fit in. You want to be known. You're trying right. to find yourself and your voice, you yep. know? Um, and so there, those pressures can cause us to do things that can be destructive in the long run. Um, you actually right. say this in the book, which I love. You say, the anger you feel and unleash into the world is only years of pain and bondage. Right. You think a lot of times, like you were just saying, like, we'll just see the surface level, right? We'll see the act that somebody is doing, whether it's anger or sadness or whatever it may be, whatever, it may be a destructive behavior, but we don't actually uncover those layers, right? And once you uncover those layers, there may be hurt, there may be pain, mm -hmm. there may be, you know, wounds and bruises that have been open and gaping for years that nobody ever tended to. And so what happens is, just like with a wound, if you never go to the hospital to get it properly treated, it may get some scarring that, you know, it may heal, but did it heal properly? Hmm. And so it may close, but was it closed up properly? And that's what happens with us emotionally. We have these things that may happen in our lives, these experiences that may happen in our lives. And we get, we pick up the tools that we think are going to help us not experience that thing again. And it becomes a defensive thing versus picking up the tools that says, if this happened to happen to me again, I can maneuver it in a healthy way. Hmm. I can get through it in a in a better way 
that benefits me and doesn't close me off to having a more free life. And, and it goes, goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show about growing up, right? We're right. still growing up. Right. Um, we're still healing. We're still developing. And so, uh, before, before we, before we close out this episode, I really want to, um, talk to you a little bit about, about rural America growing up in the black belt, <laughs> right? I mean, cause so, for so many people, when they hear the black belt, the first thing they think about maybe it's a civil rights movement. Right, right, right. Um, and, but, Often Alabama is so misunderstood and y'all, I have mm-hmm. to admit, I grew up in the city. I grew up in Birmingham, which is, <laughs> I guess, which was the largest city in the state until this last <laughs> census. Uh, we're number um, two now. Right. We're number two now. We're number two now. But talk a little bit about being a, being, I mean, you talk about it in the book, but being a black girl growing up in rural Alabama in, Man. in the, the 80s, 90s. Right. I would say my childhood, I had so much fun. And when I say fun, it may not be the fun that maybe you had in Birmingham, but <laughs> I'm thinking about, you know, and this is going to sound, this is our fun. I'm talking about picking watermelons and peas in a field. I'm talking about riding four wheelers and jumping ditches and pastures and fishing and eating wild berries out of fields. Like this was our fun. Like this is the things that we did to enjoy ourselves as small small children are growing up in um in rural America. Now we had movie theaters and we would go to the movies <laughs> and stuff like that. But to have fun, like, you know, you didn't have a whole lot of options and so you just you found community. That's the biggest hmm. thing I can say about living and growing up in a rural area. I can think about the most fun we had as a teenager was you know, after a football game on Friday nights, we all congregated in the Mac- local McDonald's parking lot. You, nobody actually went in and got food. You just stood outside and, <laughs> you know, you saw your friends, you talked. We had a local gas station that everybody went to and, and you just sit outside the gas station and talk. And so, Or you would find yourself in somebody's yard talking for hours, you know, or just sitting there and you just really found community with other people. And whatever you chose to do, you know, there were some forms of entertainment around or you had to drive (laughs) maybe 45 minutes to an hour to find that entertainment. But I I feel like I had like a I wouldn't trade it for anything. Right. Like it was such a fun experience and so much fun growing up. I just think about some of the times of just sitting around talking to friends. I know with young people now, it's just, you know texting and social media, but no, you knew where everybody was by where everybody's bike was, you know, Hmm. you rode your bike to go find friends and you hung out, you know, in the street and played games. Like I talk about playing four square in the middle of the street. Like those are the type of things that you found that were entertaining. You went to go find the people to connect to them. And in those connecting moments, you played games and you found, you talked, about stuff that was happening in the city or happening at school or whatever. So a lot of growing up in what you call rural America, I don't think it's rural America. (laughs) Um, For a young black girl, it was about finding your community. And sometimes that was, you know, you had different cliques. You had the athletes, the smart people, the whatever. You had different groups that kind of congregated together. 
But at the end of the day, everybody knew like, hey, we're all from the same space and we all enjoy life in some manner or another. Um, whether you were involved in sports or band or whatever it was, you just found community. But like at a, at a really young age, it was really about just being outside and finding something to do. It didn't matter what it was. I still tell people I love being outside in the sun, even when it's like a hundred and something degrees. I like being outside in the sun. I can remember going outside to ride my scooter when I was like seven or eight and nobody was outside. And I was like, nobody's outside. My mom was like, Chris, it's 103 degrees. Like nobody's going to be outside. You need to come back in the house. And I'm like, what? So it was all about finding community and finding people to connect with. Um, being from rural America, quote unquote, that you call it. <laughs> okay. So before we close out, I want to ask you two questions. The okay. first question on my black book journal, we have a, um, we have a segment where we ask what, so we say reading brings me joy and I want to know what books have brought you joy. Mm, that's a really good question. The first book that comes to mind, I'm, I'm going to go fiction and nonfiction. So fiction, a book that brought me joy was The Twelve Tribes of Hattie by Ayana <laughs> Mathis. Like that book was just absolutely beautiful to me. From chapter to chapter, I felt like I was watching a movie and I still, and I've, I've read that book probably over five years ago, but it just still sticks with me. The richness of the stories of this particular family and just seeing how I could see my own family in those characters. And so that that that's the fiction book that brought me joy. Recently, mm -hmm. I just read this book called Be Happy by Dr. Rebecca Ray. And it was like 35 personal development um, mm -hmm. traits that you a person takes to find joy. And it talks about, you know, vulnerability and creating space for the things that you need to thrive as a human being. And so that book really brought me a lot of joy. And I started reading it in the pandemic, but, you know, I just kind of took my time each week um, to read a different chapter in that book. And I just finally finished it probably like a month ago. And so that's the book I would say recently from a nonfiction standpoint, that's brought me joy. Mm. Thank you for sharing with us. So Absolutely. if people want to follow your work or purchase your book, where can they go? Absolutely. On Facebook, I'm Crystal T. Ash. On Instagram, I'm CTA Speaks. That's CTA Speaks. Um, people can purchase my book by going to my website. It's crystaltash.com. Or they can um, purchase it, whether it's the print copy or e-print from Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And it's lessons from my grandma's table. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for coming on my Black Book Journal. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you and having you on the show. You all go check out Crystal's work, follow her, purchase the book, um, and y'all be easy. Thank you so much, Danny. I appreciate it. So great to talk to you again.